Happy holidays and welcome in for episode three of the 48 Minutes Podcast. I'm Ross Geiger, the host of the show, and I'm thrilled to be joined alongside both my co-hosts here tonight, Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media. And returning to the mic tonight, we also have the man, the myth, the legend, World B, Michael Freer. How are we doing tonight, fellas? Awesome. Absolutely fantastic. Glad to be back. You guys rocked the other night on the podcast. I, I listened to it. It was tremendous. Awesome. Glad to hear that. I'm, I'm very relieved, World B, because I was going to ask that million-dollar question of whether or not you did tune in. And, you know, based on your answer, you know, I might have turned this 48 Minutes podcast into a 48 Seconds podcast if you would have said no. So <laughs> glad you tuned in and enjoyed. But uh, got a lot to talk about tonight, and we're certainly, you know, getting to the end of 2022 here. Um, so let's tip things off by discussing some players and or teams that have grabbed your attention here recently. And World B, since you're well-rested, let's start with you. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, one of one of the guys I mentioned to you, uh, you guys between podcasts, uh, my hot take of the week is I think uh, Paolo Bancaro should be an all-star this year. Ooh. Not future all-star, which he's going to be. I think he deserves to be an all-star this year. He's he's putting up some ridiculous numbers for the number one overall pick. He's averaging 21.9 points a game, 6.9 rebounds, and 4.0 assists. He's one of 13 guys in the league to do that. Here's a list of guys who's who's doing that along with him. Embiid, Luka, Giannis, Tatum, KD, LeBron, Steph, Siakam, Zion, Joker, Butler, and Carl Anthony Towns. That's a pretty good company you're keeping for a rookie first year in the league. He's more than living up to the hype. He's got 20 points in 20 of his first 26 games. According to my buddies at ESPN Stats and Information Group, there's only two other people that have done that in their first 26 games. MJ and Zion. Wow. That's a pretty good company. The guy, he's on Orlando. They're struggling, or they're getting better, but they've been struggling for most of the year. They're anonymous for most of the league. But there's my guy. He should be in the All-Star this year. Bancaro's a bad man. There's no doubt about it. He he almost personally destroyed the Celtics last weekend in uh, the two games in Boston. My quick take is I want to shout out to some guys on a very, very young team, but the Houston Rockets have three sons of ballers that are doing really well. We've got Kenyon Martin Jr. We've got Kevin Porter Jr. And they're being coached by Stephen Silas, son of Paul. So it's a family affair down there in Houston. Hopefully the family's going to grow together and they'll start getting some W's, Ross. Yeah, no, they're definitely on the rise as well. Those two teams actually just matched up last night and Magic had a uh, come from behind win on the road in Houston. But uh, fun to watch those two young teams duke it out. As for me, I got the Sacramento Kings, believe it or not, the beam team, as they're known this year, are only two games back from the top spot in the West. Sabonis, he's been on an absolute tear, 20-plus rebounding nights in three of the past four games, including a triple-double last night against LeBron and the Lakers. De'Aaron Fox continues to play at a high level as well, leading the team in scoring at 23.1 points per game. But really, what is surprised me this year and really stands out with this group and why I believe uh, they're only two games back from the top spot in the West is the supporting cast, uh, especially when it comes to their bench contributors. Davion Mitchell, Malik Monk, Terrence Davis, 
They've all had their flashes. They've all had their games. And uh, Chamiz Metu, he's a small ball five for them. And even last night, Nemes Cueta, not even sure if you guys know who that, that guy is. Ten points in ten minutes on a perfect five of five from the field. Thrown right into the fire by head coach Mike Brown. And uh, he, he brought some energy off that bench to help them win that game. And, you know, every time I watch this team, someone out there um, steps up that's out of the ordinary and has become a difference maker in meaningful minutes. And so the Kings are really turning a corner this year, and they've been my favorite early season development. You know, Sabonis is leading the league in rebounding. Uh, he's leading the team in assists. And there's only two non-guards in the league with more assists per game than Sabonis. And that would be uh, Joker and LeBron James. I mean, think about think about the Kings real quick. Think about they brought in Mike Brown, who was Steve Kerr's defensive assistant, top defensive assistant coach. So, so what do they do? They have a top five offense, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which they do. Which yeah. makes you wonder how in the world did they lose to the Hornets a couple nights ago? I'll Some tell you how say- they lost that one. <laughs> Some people say defense leads to offense. Sorry, Russ, go ahead. Absolutely. You know, you know what they got they got stuck going back through their old ways. The Charlotte Hornets play pretty sloppy. Lamelo Ball likes to get after it and throw some crafty passes. And they played right into that young Charlotte game and 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 it really threw them, you know, off the Sacramento brand of basketball that they've played with most of this year. But we're able to get things back on track, getting a big win over their I guess, old rivals, the Lakers. And, uh, yeah. you know, they're, they're really trying to get some payback for all those lost years. Um, but, yeah, let's get, let's get right into our first quarter here, fellas. Um, the Eastern Conference, you know, the teams, the standings, they remain on fire right now, except for the reigning Eastern Conference champion, Boston Celtics, Bruce's squad. Once again at home, Bruce, what happened the other night against the Indiana Pacers? Well, after the two losses against Orlando, Marcus Smart called out the team for getting outworked. And guess what? He didn't play last night or or Wednesday night. And did they ever get outworked? They were down 28 points at halftime, and it felt like it was more. Uh, I don't know if they're believing their own press clippings, and they got off to this start, and everyone said, oh, you got the greatest offense in the history of the world, and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, guess what, fellas? You know, you got a target on your back every night now because you are one of the top teams. So if you're not going to bring it, then these teams that are hungry are going to come and eat your lunch. And that's what happened against Indiana. You got, you told it the Celtics, they went from the, as you said, the offense at a historic pace to having the worst offense this month. They're, they're at the bottom in offensive efficiency this month. It's just ridiculous how far they've fallen in a less than, you know, three weeks or barely three weeks. But you talk about those teams, the top six teams. Here's how they've done their last ten games: Milwaukee seven and three, Boston four and six, Cleveland seven and three, Brooklyn nine and one, Philly seven and three, the Knicks eight and two. They're all of them are on a roll here, and the key for all these teams is defense. Milwaukee's number three in defensive efficiency. Boston's in the top ten now; they're number seven. Cleveland's number one. Brooklyn is number 13, but they're climbing, as we talked about recently. You have the Philadelphia Sixers, who are number two, 76ers, excuse me, and the Knicks are top 10. All defensive teams are key in this run by by those, uh, by those all the top six in the East. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it all starts on the defensive end. And what's very interesting about this Celtics team, as I know we'll all remember, is last year they kind of struggled out of the gates and then picked it up midseason and really got their defense going and, and, and rose right to the top of the defensive categories. And that's what led to their success in the playoffs. I feel like we're seeing a little bit of a shift this year of starting the year hot, and now they're kind of getting a little colder. So they've got to figure out something here soon, especially since the fact they, they did get back uh, Time Lord, uh, guy that's supposed to be helping them on defense. And, um, you know, Marcus Smart being out definitely hurt them, but they should not be losing at home to a team like the Indiana Pacers, as, as good as some of those guys have played and some of the upset wins they have. Just very surprised um, how Boston has responded back at home after the West Coast swing. They could have had Marcus Smart. They could have had Maxwell Smart. They could have had Gene Smart. Shout out, Hacks. <laughs> they still would have got their butts kicked last night because Indiana just took it to them. Tyrese Halliburton leading the way. Yeah, and another big game to to mention amongst those top teams. Last night, the Cleveland Cavaliers defended home court, beating the Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis was unbelievable. I think he ended with 45 points, but it was not enough. I watched that game, uh, at least the second half of that, and every time that uh, the Bucks went on a run, I mean, they had a counterpunch. The Cavs just continued to respond, and the Bucks really didn't get back into it until the final minutes of the game, and Still didn't really seem like the momentum was shifting there. So got to give credit to that uh, young Cleveland team that continues to soar up the leaderboards. They have the offensive pieces now, as you guys mentioned a couple days ago with Garland and Mitchell. It's a tremendous backcourt, but it's all about the defense with them. I think it was last year. That's how they got back into the playoff picture was having a great defense. And, you know, it really you, I was really impressed when they lost Jared Allen a few weeks ago and Mobley, Eric Mobley, who had, uh, Evan Mobley, excuse me, who had been struggling for beginning of the year, got put into the center spot and the defense picked right up. As soon as he got to play the five, they stayed, they played really good defense. His game picked up. So, I mean, that was really something. Now, now they, everybody's getting healthy and, they have the defense like they did last year, but now they have offensive pieces to go along and they're going to be a factor in this East, which looks like it's going to be tight. You know, they're the kind of team that will give a team like Boston fits. I think Milwaukee's better suited to deal with them because Giannis can deal with those bigs, but you know, guys like Allen and Mobley, those are the guys that give Boston trouble. So I don't think Boston wants any part of those guys in the postseason. In fact, they've already lost to them twice. Their first, couple losses of the season were against Cleveland. So, uh, yeah, and I, and I love watching Darius Garland. I've nicknamed him Kyrie Irving 2.0. Uh, that's, that's what his game looks like to me. And the Brooklyn Nets, we can't go on without talking about Brooklyn. Last night they had the short-manned Warriors on their home floor at the Barclays Center. I think they put up like 94 points in the first half. 91. 91 points. And uh, – World B, I'm sorry, I'm putting you on the spot here, but you did send us a text message last night. Uh, what did you say the halftime deficit was for the two teams that were in the finals? I think uh, I had to go back. I think it was 62 combined between <laughs> the two of them. Uh, the two teams that made the finals last year were combined, <laughs> trailing by 60. I want to say 62 at the half. It could have been more. It was 68. 68. 68. Boston was down 28, and Brooklyn was ahead 40, 91 yeah. 51. 
I mean, that's incredible. I mean, that's the third most points any team has ever scored in the first half against a defending champs. I know they had basically a, a JV team out there, it seemed yeah. like with everybody sitting. Uh, but, you know, you still can't – you're NBA players. You still can't – there were guys that played in the finals, I'm pretty sure, besides Steph and, and uh, Clay. I mean, I'm sure there were – and Wiggins. I'm sure so many other guys got some playing time in the finals last year. So, I mean, there's really no excuse. We talked about it in the first podcast episode. Their defense is abysmal. And we're going to get into it more with the West or whatever. But um, the Nets the Nets are unbelievable these days. Their, op, their offense picking up where uh, – where it left off and their defense is now becoming the, as I mentioned, they're climbing. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, Wiseman was the only guy who sort of stood out a little bit for the Warriors last night. He had a career high 30. Okay. Uh, but Jordan Poole was one for 11 on threes. The Warriors are now three and 16 on the road, which is the worst road record of any team in the NBA. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about the Nets. Getting back to your original thought, the Nets, there's five main shooting areas in the on the court the restricted area the painted area outside the circle the mid-range the corner three and the above the break three the nets are top 10 in every one of them wow so i mean they're just they're on fire these days they have the offense and now they're playing the defense and once again like we talked about they're going to be a factor in what is going to be a tight eastern conference it it appears yeah got to give credit to jack vaughn he's got those guys buying into both sides of the basketball. They've been really fun to watch here. Um, but you mentioned the Western Conference. Obviously, um, that's a whole different ball game right now. whole different story out in the standings in the West. It's a wide-open race, five teams within one-and-a-half games of the top spot, and lots of great dra- drama going on as well. So, um, guys, I'll open the floor to you, to you first. What stands out to the – to you in the West with the, the teams that are kind of fighting it out for uh, who's top man? Well, the, the the first thing that stood out to me is that the top five teams are separated by only a game and a half. And then there's Sacramento in the sixth spot. Ross, as you mentioned earlier, only two games behind. All right. Uh, the Clippers are trending up. You know, they're starting to get a little bit more healthy. Uh, Kawhi is back. But I just think that race out there is so wide open it's going to be great for the fans because so many people are going to be interested it's going to be a challenge for the players because there's not going to be a lot of opportunities for load management with such a close race these coaches are going to want to pretty much win every game because one loss could you know move you two spots in the standings the way when it's that tight so uh, I think it's just super exciting um, and the great playoff races are going to be um you know, all the fans are going to be involved. And and it's fun to see, you know, a team like New Orleans, who's, you know, right there. Uh, and, uh, you know, certainly Sacramento. And, uh, you know, then the, the usual suspects, you know, Denver's there. And uh, they're always fun to watch. You mentioned the top five teams separated by a game and a half. If you went even further, the top eight teams are just three games. There's only three games separating the top eight, which is, wow. incredible. you know, more to your point. Uh, it was, you know, last year it was the two teams at the top, the Suns and the Warriors, it seemed like, with the Grizzlies right behind. But it was those two teams we followed all season because they're, they were just dominating and they were at the top in all the categories. Uh, and like I said, this year it's much tighter. We talked about the East and how it was defensive-minded 
the West is offensive-minded this year. If you look at eff- offensive efficiency, the Nuggets are third. The Grizzlies are just outside the top 10 at 11. The Pelicans are seventh. The Suns are the number one offense in efficiency in the, in the league. The Clippers are way down next to next to last and behind the Horn or ahead of just the Hornets, but they have a great defense to make up for a top four defense. The Kings are are number five in offensive efficiency. The Blazers, who we haven't mentioned yet, are number eight in efficiency. And then you have the Jazz, who we mentioned in a couple episodes ago. We thought they were just gonna go in the tank when they got rid of everybody. Well, here they are, the number four offense in the in the uh, league. So East is defense, West is offense. It could really make for whoever makes it to the finals a real fun finals matchup, whoever is able to do it, if those trends stay the way they are. You know, one team that you didn't mention out there, which is, kind of, which, which is a good offensive team, but really one of the top defensive teams is Memphis. Memphis yeah. is, you know, they're they, – that's a team and a franchise that has always had the identity of, you know, the grind house, the grinders, they wear you down, whatever. So here's a few numbers uh, that might be interesting. Uh, they're the top rebounding team in the NBA. They have the best rebound differential, you know, plus five and a half. They can't make free throws, though. They're on their worst free throw shooting team in the entire NBA. But they're third in block shots and they're number one in opponents field goal percentage, you know, as far as lowest opponent's field goal percentage, 44.7. So, you know, I, I always love to cite one of my mentors, Dr. Jack Ramsey, who always told me the most important defensive stat is opponent's field goal percentage. And so Memphis is right up at the top there. And, of course, they're led by the electric John Morant, who's, uh, who's scoring 27, but he's really – they're not crushing him as far as minutes. He's only playing 32 minutes. So, you know, he should be fresh, you know, pretty much for, you know, for the, the stretch run. But I always, I always look at that team and I say, they're scary. Here's, yeah. a, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this real quick. They're one of my favorite teams. When I have to write the reports, I have to write for uh, these and out. They're one of my favorite teams to write about because they're one of the, offensively, they're one of the most efficient teams in the league, and they're a terrible shooting team. They're down, they're, <laughs> they just are. There's just no way around it. They're twentieth in effective field goal percentage this year. And how do they? I love them because how they how else they get their points? They get their points points off of turnovers. They get their points second chance points points in the paint fast break points. They're top ten, top five in all these categories. So they find other ways to score. I love teams like that. You know, they, most of the time you're efficient. You either are a really good shooting team or you cut down on the turnovers. That's that's how you're efficient. Points per possession. They can't shoot, so they gotta get there. They gotta be efficient somehow, and they do in every other way. So I'm a big fan of watching them play as well. They definitely can't shoot right now. They're without their best shooter in Desmond Bain. That's been a big blow to that team. Um, And you know what I find interesting at the at the top of this segment, I, I I brought up the drama. Not sure if you guys caught it, but John Morant recently sat down, did an interview, said he's not worried about anybody in the West. He's only worried about the Celtics. He's got his eyes on the prize of making the finals. Any quick take on that statement? I mean, that's – Yeah, yeah, I got a take on it. I'm worried (laughs) about the Celtics too. (laughs) (laughs) Well played there, Bruce. I think the phrase, be careful what you wish for, would certainly apply here. I'm a big John Morant fan. I love the confidence. He's in a tough conference, and I'd like to see him get out of the conference before he uh, 
make such comments, let's put it that way. Uh, but you know what? They've got the best, uh, one of the best teams in the league. And I guess he, he should be confident when you're on a team that's as good as they are. Yeah. And, and just looking at the landscape of the West, what really kind of stands out to me and go ahead and uh, disagree with me if you will, but you know, outside of last year's COVID burden season, just specifically looking at the Western conference, I feel like this year has really been filled with a ton of IR or game time decision guys, Kawhi Leonard with the Clippers, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter with the Nuggets, Chris Paul with the Suns, and Brandon Ingram and Desmond Bain with the Pelicans and Grizzlies. There's still a ton to sort out. I mean, we haven't even seen a lot of these teams uh, fully staffed for enough games to, to really gel together. So, you know, buckle up. I think the Western Conference is going to be a wild ride till the finish. And to Bruce's point earlier, you know, I, these guys are not going to be able to rest down the stretch. I mean, the race is too close. They're going to get some of these guys back healthy and they're going to really have to push them to, to kind of stay in, stay in the race. And we, we, go ahead, Michael. I'm saying we met, we mentioned the Warriors at the top, but we didn't mention them in this conversation. Imagine when they get healthy, they're, they're outside the playoff picture, how hungry they're going to be to try and make a, you know, they, they're not just going to give up on the season because they're struggling right now. You got to believe they feel like if they can make the playoffs, they can make a run. So, you know, we mentioned these other teams and we haven't even talked about the Warriors. So yeah, there's, there's more down at the bottom that could be climbing up as well. I want to keep my eye on the Clippers. Okay. Uh, They're 19 and 14. Now they've won five out of their last six. And that's a team that's been decimated by injuries. I mean, Kawhi Leonard's missed 21 out of their 33 games. Norm Powell's missed 10 out of their 33. Uh, PG 13's missed 10 out of 33. Uh, They have had, you know, some excellent work from uh, Avika Zubats, who's averaging a double, double 9.9 points. And, and, uh, 10.7 10.7 rebounds. He's been out there. He's only missed two games. And the guy that I'm really, really happy for on that team is John Wall. He's been such a spark plug off the bench for those guys. Uh, he's averaging 11 and a half, five and a half assists in 22 minutes a game. Okay. Those are big numbers for 22 minutes of playing time each night. And given what a great player he was earlier in his career and the injuries and the kind of BS that he went through in Houston, where they kind of just gave him a timeout for pretty much most of the season. You got to be happy for a guy like that who's contributing. And uh, I say, watch out for the Clippers. They do have guys who've been there. I agree, Bruce. I I mean, they're one of the uh, deepest teams in the league, especially when you look at the names on that roster. My only concern, and it hasn't been a problem thus far, as you mentioned, uh, Zubak, you know, he's been solid all year long, but if he were to go down, they really don't have a backup five. You got to remember they lost Isaiah Hartenstein to the Knicks. Shockingly, he hasn't been playing too well in New York. Um, but I, I do think they need to invest in trying to find another big guy to kind of get uh, Zubak off his feet at times because he's playing some heavy minutes for that club, playing it exceptionally well. Just just a little concern about how many miles you put on him before you know the playoffs begin. All these great offenses we mentioned in the West, and we, you know, I mentioned now the Clippers are so bad offensively, but they're the best defensive team in the West, and in my opinion, when they're all healthy. And you ask any of those other teams if they want to face the Clippers in a series with that defense, with those guys all healthy, I'm 
fairly certain they want to look at somebody else before they get to the Clippers. Yeah, and we so haven't even talked. I'm sorry, Russ, go, go ahead. I was just going to add one more point on the Clippers. They have the luxury of having two gr- late-game scores that have ice in their veins, too, PG-13 and Kawhi. You know, Kawhi can give you more of the low post, uh, back down, fadeaway uh, shots. And, of course, from the outside, there's not too many guys down the stretch, maybe Damian Lillard and Steph Curry. And then I'd put Paul George up there as a, as a deadly uh, three-point shooter with the game on the line. Go ahead, Bruce. Ross, we haven't talked about your beloved Phoenix Suns. Actually, they're not your beloved Phoenix Suns. I know that. <laughs> I know that that's Milwaukee. Uh, yep. But uh, what well, you know, they uh, are they kind of getting their equilibrium back here? Or, I mean, because they started off well, then hit a little rough spot, and you know, Booker had the big game and the whole New Orleans thing. Are are I mean, they were my preseason pick to come out of the West. I'm not feeling as confident about it, although I'm not ready to throw them under the bus yet. What's your take on them? You see them pretty much every game. Yeah, I'm still very concerned since the last time we've talked about Phoenix. Um, Not sure if you guys caught the uh, timeout altercation between Monty Williams and DeAndre Ayton. Uh, They had a nice little back and forth uh, during an adverse time in the ball game against a uh, Wizards team that was on a 10-game losing streak. And uh, they were able to win in Phoenix. So uh, definitely... uh, Red flag of concern there for the Suns not being able to close out the Wizards who were struggling on the back end of their West Coast road trip in that one. Um, I just think there's a lot of unfinished business between DeAndre Ayton, Monty Williams, and and potentially others within the organization. Um, They got to get that cleared up. Of course, Chris Paul's had his own set of problems just trying to stay healthy and now get back to uh, going 100% back out on the floor and uh, the Cam Johnson in- injury hurt him. Jay Crowder still being MIA and not traded yet uh, definitely is interesting. They just have a lot of things going on there. And, you know, very different than the Brooklyn situation as far as those problems were concerned. But still a ton of distra- distractions. The Brooklyn Nets were able to kind of get rid of those distractions. The Suns haven't. They just keep kind of, you know, opening up scabs. And, and I think it's really, you know, pausing this team from taking a step forward and getting back to where you saw them in uh, preseason? Well, I think the, the difference between the, the chaos of the Nets and the Suns, for me, I can't speak to the Suns situation, front office, whatever, but I know the Nets GM and ownership really made those guys, you know, especially a guy like KD, accountable when he went and demanded a trade uh, during the summer. And they got him back on, you know, they got him back on track, you know, to a team. And same thing with Kyrie. They didn't, uh, I don't want to say kiss his butt or anything. I don't know what the phrase would be. But they didn't uh, buckle under to what they had a plan that they wanted to do. And it involved those two. And they needed to keep them in there. And they got that point across to them. And those guys, you know, since Kyrie's come back from his uh, hiatus, if you will, they've really – been one of the top teams in the league. And I can't speak to the Sun situation, but they had the the ownership issue, which we're going to talk about later on here, um, since before the season started. So I don't know how much of an impact that's had on everything. I think to your point, uh, Jay Crowder being out at training camp, which was another distraction, but they thought Cam Johnson would be able to fix that, and then he gets hurt. It's just – that ruins their lineup a little bit. It just messes with their lineup a little bit. I wouldn't say ruins. Um, the other team we haven't mentioned, 
the Denver Nuggets. They're the top team in the West, and we haven't even discussed them. And yeah. I'm not going to discuss much, say much about them outside. You know, I love Jokic, Jokic, and all his, you know, his game. But I'm not really going to take the Suns or uh, Suns take the Nuggets seriously until they decide they want to play some defense. They're a terrible yeah. defensive team right now. They just are. Can I yeah. channel? Can I channel World B. Freer for a second and give you a number about uh, Jokic that I think is just you know. I don't know. I mean, when you look at his numbers, you always kind of say, wow. But okay, he's got six triple-doubles this year, okay? He had five other games where he missed a triple-double by either one point or one rebound. So he had a double-double plus nine in five other games. So on a nightly basis, it's like this dude, man, I mean, he's selling a lot of league passes. That's all I got to say because uh, it's just uh, it's just such a treat to watch that guy play. It really is. And another treat to watch on Denver this year. I mentioned him last broadcast, Aaron Gordon. I mean, he has played exceptionally well for that ball club this year. Michael Porter Jr. with his max money should be taking him out to dinner every week because this guy is keeping the pressure off Porter. He's fulfilling everything you could ask for from, from him from a percentage standpoint, from scoring, from defense. And, and, and he he's the reason Joker's been, been able to – be so so successful as well with the assist numbers. I mean, he's always moving off the ball. He's slashing, cutting. And, of course, he knows if you do those type of things, Jokic will find you. So um, Aaron Gordon has been huge this year. Jamal Murray's had his moments of stepping up, making some clutch shots. Um, but those two, boy, I think, I think talk about all-stars. I think uh, at, at least as an all-star replacement, Aaron Gordon's got to be in the conversation considering where the Nuggets are in the standings and the improvement he's made this season. Here's here's something real quick to your point, Ross. I mentioned in the, our debut episode how much um, the Joker has meant to the team offensively, how much of a difference on the court and off the court. He, when he is on the court, they are scoring 21.6 points per 100 possessions more than when he's off the court, which is the tops in the league. It's ridiculous. Number two among the Nuggets players is Aaron Gordon. When he's on the, the difference between him on the court and off the court for the Nuggets offense is 17.3 points per 100 possessions. He's a wow. tremendous, impactful player on that team, to your point. And I don't know where he fits in the all-star scheme or anything like that, but he's, he's definitely, to me, he's having his best season of his career. Great points there. And that leads us right into our next segment here, Bruce. i let you definitely – let us know what's going on down south with the Atlanta Hawks. Let's start our third quarter with the Hawks. Uh, so their president of basketball operations, Travis Schlenk, is moving into a senior advisory role with the team. And general manager and former Nick great Landry Fields is now you know, moving on up and taking over the day-to-day basketball operations. Timing, kind of interesting. Trade deadline still about a month and a half away. Hawks have spent most of the year around 500, uh, and they've been heavily involved in trade rumors with, you know, John Collins being the main guy. But to me, what's interesting is a couple weeks ago, Nate McMillan and uh, Trey Young got into a little thing where they say there was miscommunication. There's clearly some tension there. So now the guy who hired Nate McMillan is now gone, okay, or, or at least he's moved upstairs. So I'm wondering, is this 
you know, are, are there storm clouds on the horizon as far as Nate McMillan's future there? If he's not getting along with their star player uh, and his boss who hired him is gone, should Nate, is, is the seat heating up underneath him, guys? What do you all think? Well, I'll tell you this. I When that incident went down, it was believed at that time because Nate had the support of the uh, front office that he was they were going to take his side of it and that was going to be, everything was going to be fine and dandy and then was going to fall on Trey young. And for, you know, for as to if you're assigning blame to what happened uh, and now to your point, it's everything's up in the air at this point. We don't, where's it going to go? What happens if Trey young, if they're out of the playoff picture and he decides he wants to demand a trade, he wants to get away from there, which isn't out of the realm of possibility. I, I guarantee if they go right in the pooper, which, I'll tell you this would be a real it wouldn't look good on Trey Young because he is one of the reasons. I know his his numbers are always fine and whatever, but he is one of the reasons they're not playing better because he is absolutely terrible shooting the ball this year. He's just terrible. There he's one of the worst shooters in the league percentage-wise in effective field goal percentage and three-point percentage. So he can demand a trade, but you better put that on him as well as one of the reasons why they're not faring better in the East. Yeah. Hey, um, go ahead, Russ. Uh, it's very interesting with Trey young. Uh, obviously that backcourt duo hasn't meshed as well as uh, they thought it would. Um, but what we know about this league, kind of going back to Bruce's question about the hot seats warming up, it's a player's league. All right. And Trey Young's one of the most talented guards in the game today. Uh, I, I certainly think Nate would be the first to go before even getting to the point of a rumor swirling that Trey may won out. I mean, he was, you know, traded on draft night, been there his entire career. I think he, you know, wants to be part of that organization. Um, saw him out during summer league. He had taken the entire team out. So he's still one of the, the main leaders. My, my issue with that backcourt is the lack of assists. I think they were like dead last or in the, in, in, the bottom five of assists per game, they don't move the ball. It's stuck in either Murray's hands, who's having a phenomenal season, or it's in Trey Young's hand. And uh, as you alluded to, World B, he's not shooting the ball that great this year. And as we know, on the defensive side of things, Trey uh, creates some problems too with his size and becomes a little bit of a liability there as well. The whole deal where they brought DeJounte Murray in from San Antonio – was always a very curious move to me. And again, that could be one of the reasons that Schlenk has now moved on. When you give up three first-round draft picks for a guy, okay, which is basically what they gave for DeJounte yeah. Murray, normally aren't you sort of thinking we're on the verge of like, he's the guy we need to put us over the top to get us either to the finals or make us a championship team. Atlanta was never that close. Uh, and to bring that guy in and mortgage your future – I mean, he's a young guy. He's got a good contract. He signed for a couple more years. So, I mean, he's, you know, he's not going to be leaving anytime soon. But to me, that was and, – and I have to wonder if that has sort of been one of the reasons that Trey Young hasn't maybe overachieved this year because maybe he feels like they brought in this guy who's playing essentially the same position as I am. It's like, you know, WTF, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to your point, uh, Roz, earlier about their ball movement or whatever – they averaged the fewest passes per game overall of any team, 252 passes a game. You know, they, they just – they don't move the ball around, uh, and they don't 
you know, they don't shoot the ball well. I mentioned, you know, Murray. Uh, I'm sorry, I mentioned uh, Trey Young's issues uh, shooting the ball. It's just, you know, from three point range, from from you know, effective field goal percentage, it's just bad. And you don't move the ball around. You better make shots, and they're not doing, you know, anything like that. To put it in perspective, 252 passes per game being last. The Warriors are number one, 323 passes a game. So there's a difference of about 70 passes a game, ball moving around. Pace That's has something lot. to do with that, obviously, but there's a lot more uh, you know, ball movement when you watch the Warriors play than when you watch the Hawks play. So so we're going to go from Atlanta, who's had some front office uh, drama, shall we say, to uh, the land of the sun, the Valley of the Sun, where they've had uh, drama of a different sort, uh, Ross. Tell us uh, your thoughts about what's going down with the sale of that team. Yeah, big news out of Phoenix this week as uh, Matt Ishbia has become the new majority owner of the Suns, Robert Sarver, um, selecting Ishbia as the buyer at uh, about $4 billion, if you can believe that. And um, real exciting for Suns fans. I mean, this is a long-awaited news break and getting Sarver out of town and couldn't be happier for uh, the Suns, the Suns organization, and for, most importantly, their fans. Uh, You know, they want to represent a team uh, that they can be proud of. And, you know, the the Suns are on the rise. The excitement's at an all-time high here. And uh, I'm a huge fan of what I've heard about – Matt Ishbia thus far. Um, he is a Michigan State grad, uh, was a walk-on for the basketball team there, played with the Flintstones, Mateen Cleaves, and Charlie Bell, and Morris Peterson, if you guys remember those guys. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he's rooted in Michigan. Um, he runs a very successful mortgage company. And with the mortgage company comes an interesting tidbit here that I uncovered. Um, you know, another guy in the mortgage uh, industry is uh, Cavs owner Dan Gilbert. And I guess there is some beef between the two stemming back to their time at Michigan State and in, in their involvement um, with the university. And uh, just something to keep an eye on there between those two parties. Maybe not right now or maybe not within the first couple of years, but should be very interesting to see um, as far as any trade negotiations, or even more importantly, me having the background in coaching and front office, um, you know, whether or not, you know, if the Suns were potentially interested in, say, J.B. Bickerstaff as a coach down the line, or Colby Altman as a general manager or team president, would Dan Gilbert, you know, give permission for his guys that are on his staff to interview for a Phoenix job? Could be interesting. I don't know. What's your guys' take? Given that, uh, one of the reasons that Sarver had to sell the team was because of his treatment uh, prejudice, how shall we say, against uh, yep. African-Americans. And certainly there was some uh, sexual harassment uh, allegations against some of the female employees. Uh, as far as we know, there's nobody that's uh, on the, uh, um, you know, part in the partner group that is a minority. And again, I don't think there's anything written anywhere that says there has to be. And, you know, there could be very legitimate reasons. But I'm wondering, you know, given that the league has been so, you know, out in front when it comes to, you know, equality and, and, you know, all the social issues. Exactly. uh, I wonder if they're going to if the if uh, approval of the sale, if if Ishby is going to face any pushback uh, and if we see anybody 
added to the participation team over the next couple of weeks. And it turns out that they might, you know, uh, not be part of the original group. Keep your eye out on that and see if that maybe becomes an issue. Yeah. And um, with this, with this be a two, one bit, and then I'll let you go world B. Uh, being a Michigan guy, do you do you guys know who uh, is from Michigan on the Sun? You told us before the show, so yeah, you get to break not it. Not fair, not fair. Huh. Huh. Well, Devin Booker, so uh, <laughs> that's got to be an exciting piece there for Ishbia as well uh, with those Michigan roots. His superstar uh, uh, within the organizations from Michigan. But go ahead, World B. What you got? Well, I was just I was curious about. We mentioned in the last segment about. One of the issues involving the Suns involved the sale of the team going on during the summer and all that. You know, if that had an impact, negative impact on their on the team, the chemistry and everything surrounding it. Well, I'm wondering, will this can this possibly serve as a uh, spark to the team? Is it possible as an ownership change midseason can provide that for a team? I don't know if it can or not. My Initial gut would be no, but I don't know uh, the relationship uh, the previous owners had with the team as far as you know how they felt about him and is this a relief? Is it, I don't know, but it's uh, it's really it'll, it'll be interesting if this has any impact in a positive way on a, a resurgence for the Suns. Yeah, we we will definitely have to keep an eye on that, and we will go ahead and shift our way to our fourth quarter here. And uh, let's talk some breakout players. Um, anybody want to start on uh, who, who they've got their eye on, who's caught their attention as a breakout star this year? Yeah, the clock's ticking, so I'll go really quickly. Uh, right. My guy is uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Uh, to call him a breakout player after he averaged 24 points a game last season might be a bit of a stretch, but he's averaging 31, number four in the NBA. He's been super consistent. He's averaged 31 a game in October. 31.1 in November, 31.4 in December. He's there every night. 29 games, he's had 20-plus points. He's had 20 games with 30 or more points. He's had 42 twice. And so he's uh, his scoring average has improved every single season. So SGA, uh, 24 years old. Um, he should be starting in the All-Star game, but he'll at least make the team uh, World B. Well, for, uh, for me, it's a guy that we – probably thought was his career, I don't say it was over, but it was never going to live up to what they were hoping as Laurie Markkinen out in Utah. Uh, He was part of the Donovan Mitchell deal, and he struggled uh, in in Cleveland when he was, you know, that one season he was there, and so you weren't sure what you were going to get out of him. And what do you get? You get 22-8 per game scoring, 2.1 assists, He's averaging career highs in field goal percentage, over 50%. He's shooting over 40% from three-point range. He's the only player in the league who's averaging at least 20 points a game, eight rebounds a game, and shooting uh, 40% from three-point range. And he used to be just a three-point guy, and that wasn't much, you know, inside wasn't much of his game. Well, this year, in the restricted area, 70%, 71% in the restricted area, 13th in the league. Mid-range game, he's shooting 53%, 55%, excuse me, which is fifth in the league. And on the corners, from the corner, he's shooting 57%, which is second best in the league. He's doing it from every spot on the court, and he's he's another guy who probably should be an all-star. 
We'll see if he gets it, but he probably should be. Yeah, and speaking of a game, I want to play a quick game. Simon says that my breakout player is in Portland. That is Anthony Simons, ladies and gentlemen. He is having a tremendous season, continues to get better year in, year out, uh, under the tutelage of uh, Damian Lillard. And uh, he's second in the league right now in three-pointers made. With or without Dame on the floor, he's been highly effective. And this is a guy I've been watching since the Portland Trailblazers drafted him out of IMG Academy in Florida. Um, Sneaky athletic, continues to get better at moving with or without the basketball. And when he does have the basketball in his hands, he's in the high pick and roll and he's making plays for others. You know, he's getting Jeremy Grant involved. He's finding the roller in Nurkic. He is just truly blowing expectations out of the water. I think a lot of teams and players around the league have been surprised at just how effective he's been this year. And he's a big reason the Portland Trailblazers are still in the playoff picture. I wonder who he was named after. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I don't listen. know any of those diamonds. <laughs> Good one, World B. Uh, all right. Listen, I know it's time to get uh, Ross's best bets, but I just couldn't let this opportunity pass to talk about a gambling story that has nothing to do with the NBA. It's one of our favorite celebrity basketball fans, Drake. Um, he placed a bet on Argentina to win the World Cup. It was a $1 million bet. Wow. So, so how did he lose that bet when Argentina won the World Cup? He lost the bet because he should he needed to bet on the game to be a tie for him to get the million since it went into extra time. Because Argentina required extra time to win, he didn't get paid, even though he bet on them to win the World Cup. But Ross, you're going to give us advice where our people will never have that happen to them, right? Yeah, absolutely. But we've all been there. We're in Drake's shoes. We just probably haven't had a million dollars on the line, but we've all had our uh, tough breaks here and there. But today, for our best best discussion, we're going to focus in on rookies and parlays. I got three rookies that I've picked out that I like to use in parlays. Um, and we're going to start out with World Beast Guy in Orlando, Paolo Bonchero. Like taking Paolo for 20 plus points per game. I think he's averaging at this time 21.9 points per game, and he leads all rookies in scoring. So, always a good bet there with Bonchero. And he, he's also used quite a bit. He is uh, averaging 34.7 minutes per game, also a rookie high around the league. So uh, good bang for your buck and going with Paolo Banchero with a lot of the offense going through him. My second guy, Keegan Murray, uh, taking him for one three-pointer made in a game. He leads all rookies with 2.4 three-pointers made per game, uh, but definitely safe to go ahead with him burying at least one uh, in a game for the fast-paced Sacramento Kings. And lastly, out in Detroit, we got the youngest rookie in this draft class, Jalen Duran. He leads all rookies at 8.2 rebounds per game. So if you're able to go ahead and bet Jalen Duran at 7 or 8 rebounds per game, um, definitely a good bet there. Uh, he has just entered Dwayne Casey's starting lineup, earning more minutes, and he, he he's on the rise. Uh, they're they're going to continue to play him. Ivy can't really shoot the ball yet, so there's rebounds to be had. And uh, Isaiah Stewart likes to get in foul trouble a little too often. So really like Duran there. You guys have any thoughts on uh, any of those three rookies as far as bets are concerned or performance? Well, I'll tell you one thing about uh, getting back to Bancaro real quick. He gets to the line like like a veteran. Yeah. He's seventh in the league in free throw attempts per game. 
You know, he gets about seven, seven point four a game. Here are the guys who are behind him in free th- eight point three. Excuse me, eight point three a game. He's getting he's getting in the line more often than Tatum, than DeRozan, than Zion, than Jimmy Butler, than KD. He's getting treat. He's getting veteran treatment, and it's not just veteran treatment. He knows how to get the ball to the basket and draw the fouls, so he's going to have a good chance to score. Uh, 20 plus every night because one of the reasons being because of his ability to get to the line. All right. And we are back for a little overtime segment with you all. Uh, We got Christmas gifts to give out and um, we're going to start with world B Christmas day slate. Who do you have your eye on? Who are you looking forward to? Well, I think I mentioned to you guys how, the league always likes to present as good matchups as they can, and they do it before the season. It doesn't always work out that way. This lineup that's coming up on on uh, Christmas is really special, I think. And the one game I'm looking forward to as a Knicks fan is going to be the 76ers and the Knicks. Um, I'm really excited about that. Both teams are on fire. Both teams are going to be contending. And for me, I'd like to see as a gift – if somebody can give the Knicks some consistent outside shooting, they're bottom five in, in three point percentage, all the great things they're doing. They're just not a good shooting team. I mentioned before about RJ bear who went crazy last night from three point range, which was great. Now we need to see it a little more often on a night that Jalen Brunson was terrible shooting the ball. So I'd like to see some, my gift. If I were a Knicks fan, I'd like to receive some consistent three point shooting. Bruce. Well, uh, of course, the game that I'm looking forward to receiving as a gift is the uh, Buck celtics game. Uh, two teams kind of going in opposite directions right now. And the way Boston has been lackadaisical in their approach the last few day- games, being outworked by teams that really they shouldn't be outworked by, if they put forth that kind of an effort against Milwaukee on Christmas Day in front of the entire nation watching them, uh, they will be humiliated and embarrassed. So. I'm looking forward to a, a little bounce-back effort by them. Uh, Giannis always crushes them, but hopefully they'll have enough uh, scoring, uh, you know, top to bottom in their lineup to come out of there with a win, Ross. Who are you looking for on Christmas? Well, with those two picks off the board here, I'm going to have to go with the Phoenix Suns and Denver Nuggets. Obviously, I've talked about my excitement with Aaron Gordon. We've talked about the Joker. Um, and I want to see this year's, top Western Conference team as it stands now, face off against last year's top Western Conference team. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, Seeing the Suns play on Christmas Day reminds me back when I was a kid, the Kobe Bryant days going against the Lakers on Christmas. Um, And two fun teams that I like to get up and down. Really looking forward to seeing DeAndre Ayton and if he's up for the challenge defending the Joker. And, um, you know, Torrey Craig is a one-time Denver Nugget. He's going to have his hands full trying to defend Aaron Gordon. Should be a lot of fun. I know Devin Booker's probably got something special uh, for the Phoenix fans that game and could have another historic night. And um, I'm on pins and needles to go ahead and uh, tune into that one. Other than that, all right, we are back here. Fellas, it's been a fun show. We'll be glad to have you back. Any final thoughts before we head off into our holiday weekend? You go, Michael. Well, um, obviously, I wish everybody happy holidays for 
this weekend coming up and for the whole month. Uh, we are in the midst of an offensive explosion this league really has not seen ever. And I'm really looking forward. I'm Something special is going to happen Christmas Day in one of these games from an offensive standpoint. Uh, we talked about before our show, Bernard King once went for 60 against the Nets in a loss on Christmas Day. And we, I'm not so sure we're going to – I wouldn't be surprised if we see something special like that from somebody in one of these games uh, come Sunday. If I had one thought going into the Christmas holiday, first of all, I'm I'm all about peace on earth. I love this time of year because people treat each other great. And I think, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't remind folks listening to us or perhaps even watching us, a subscription to 48 Minutes makes an awesome yeah. Christmas gift. It's free. <laughs> all you got to do is send somebody a link and say, hey, listen to these three guys. They know a couple things about basketball. They will enrich your lives and we will further the uh, effort for you to be the smartest person about basketball at work. So please give generously 48 minutes subscriptions for Christmas gifts to your basketball fans, Ross. Yes. Well, well said there, Bruce. Couldn't agree more with you there. I think for me, it's obviously just appreciating the time with family, stepping away, being able to watch my kids open some gifts and uh, just have that, that family bonding experience. But no better way to do that on Christmas Day than to also have the television on and be sure that we're tuned into all these games. So really looking forward to watching all these games. I've started to call them study hall um, as we get ready for our podcasts. And I'm sure uh, we'll have a lot to say when we come back with everyone on Wednesday and uh, really looking forward to that. And so that will do it for this edition of 48 Minutes. I want to thank everybody for listening. Be sure, as Bruce said, to go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Leave us a rating. Leave us some comments. And we'll be back with you next Wednesday. And we hope everyone has a happy holidays and a Merry Christmas. Peace out.